This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we have a special guest to discuss Air Force careers, Major Jason Markson. But before we begin, a few announcements. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You know, if you have a special story about your career that inspire others, maybe you want to share your career in aerospace or have other information you feel will help our listeners, please write us or consider becoming a guest on the show. Just click on Be a Guest on aviationcareerspodcast.com. Also, don't forget we have the scholarships guide. Uh, a lot of the scholarships are coming out new this year, uh, so go check that out. It's only $10 for one-year access. We update it every month. We have 60 new scholarships and three updates. So to find out more, go to aerospacescholarships.com or aviationcareerspodcast.com and click on scholarships. Well, today, again, I have a special guest with us, Major Jason Markson. He's the advanced pilot and narrator for the U.S. Air Force Air Demonstration Squadron, flying the number eight jet. You know, he earned his commission in 2007 as a graduate of Arizona State University's Air Force ROTC program. And while majoring in aerospace engineering, he played for a club baseball team and was an avid runner. He also enjoys snowboarding, camping, and traveling the world with his family. Before joining the Thunderbirds, he served as an S-16 flight evaluator and maintenance operations flight commander assigned to the 13th Fighter Squadron in, in Japan. He also logged more than 2,000 flight hours as an Air Force pilot in F-16 T-38s, T-6s. He's in his second season with the team and hails from Tucson, Arizona. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's glad to have you here. Hey, Carl. Happy to be here. Uh, thanks for reaching out to me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of us, we see the Thunderbirds, and boy, you have such a high-energy show, and, and it's just so inspirational to see you guys out there. Um, and we're going to talk about careers, but I want—I don't want to take away from that high energy there. Um, mm -hmm. As far as the, the Air Force and the Thunderbirds, tell us a little bit about the mission, then we'll get a little bit into your, your background as far as aviation is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. So the mission of the Thunderbirds is to recruit, retain, and inspire. So the first part uh, being recruit, you know, we go around the country and sometimes the world to showcase the pride, professionalism, and pre precision of not just our aircraft, but also all of our airmen in the Air Force. Uh, we have 135-ish people on the team. Uh, there's mo the bulk of that are maintainers, uh, but then we also have a handful of uh, support folks from our one Charlies who kind of track all of our records to our aircrew flight equipment personnel who make sure that uh, all of the gear that we're wearing while we're flying is is safe and uh, oper operational. Uh, and then we also have uh, a handful of admin support officers as well from our flight surgeon, our executive officer, our maintenance officer, and our public affairs officer. Uh, so it's it's a pretty well-oiled machine as we go across the country from week to week showcasing, uh, you know, all that to the to American citizens. Well, hats off to you guys really do a great job. And I know you work so hard at this, but, you know, we all look at you like you're larger than life. And, uh, and, and you folks are, I mean, it's incredible this show that you do. But, you know, 
you didn't just jump into a F-16 and start flying. That started somewhere, just like all of us that are listening right now. So how is it that you developed that passion for aviation? Uh, well, that's very flattering um, to, to be described as larger than life. I never thought that would be the case. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess um, I guess when I was a kid, I, I was really interested in space. And, uh, you know, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, and where we lived, um, there weren't a lot of city lights. All the lights were very low, and so you could see the stars uh, everywhere. I mean, it was amazing. So I would constantly be just looking at the stars and trying to figure out different constellations and everything. And so I think that's what sort of ignited my passion for aviation was was space. So uh, it's kind of funny the, the way that is. But I, I remember researching uh, how to become an astronaut and looking at a bunch of the different uh, careers. Uh, most of the folks, most of the astronauts, they were PhD physicists or something like that. And I was like, that's way too smart for me. So I looked at the test pilot school people uh, and I was like, wow, that's that's pretty smart too. I don't know if I could do that, but I at least I'm going to try and give it a shot. So that's sort of what uh, got me going on that career path. So, and to do that, you decided, uh, maybe you didn't decide, you kind of fell into uh, this position at the Air Force. So what kind of led you down the path to going towards the Air Force? Uh, I think I'd uh, always kind of been interested in the military, uh, my, I had a few friends who were in the military, uh, or at least who were planning on joining the military. And uh, one of my best friends, actually, he was um, going to do Army ROTC. And so while we were in high school, uh, we started talking about it. And about that same uh, time, my beginning of my senior year of high school was 2001. We all kind of know what happened in that year. Uh, and so that also helped me develop a, a little bit of more of a patriotic uh, feeling towards uh, service, really. Um, and so I, I was like, you know what, I, I want to serve uh, in some capacity. I want to uh, go into the Air Force. So I took a semester of JROTC while I was in uh, high school with my buddy. Uh, and then when I started college, I immediately joined uh, Air Force ROTC at Arizona State. Uh, and I, I can't say that from my first couple years in ROTC, that uh, pilot was at my number one choice. But definitely as I got further along into the program, uh, it solidified itself as being my, my top choice. And I started to uh, pursue that passion. So the Air Force is, uh, and all the armed forces are a wonderful place to go for somebody that is looking for a career in many aspects. Not just, you know, we talk about aviation here and flying. There's many things that are involved in aerospace. Engineers, there's mechanics, there's pilots, uh, many different avenues that you can go. And actually, the Air Force can actually prepare you for all those different things. Uh and a good example, I think, is the Thunderbirds. I mean, you, you're not just a, a few pilots up there. There is this huge team, and it takes this, this large team to put this together. Maybe you can share possibly about how many folks you have and then go into a little bit about the many different career fields that support the Thunderbirds and the Air Force. Yeah. So like I said, we have about 135 folks that are on the team. Um, only 12 of those are officers. So uh, everybody else is serves in an enlisted capacity. Now we have 28 different jobs on the team or AFSCs as we call them, our Air Force Specialty Codes. Uh, and that's anywhere from crew chief to uh, avionics specialist 
to uh, supply aircrew flight equipment like I talked about earlier, our uh, one Charlie Oscars that handle all of our flying records. Uh, like I discussed, we also have our front office folks, our personnelists uh, that handle uh, some of that. But then we also have a couple of civilians on the team as well. Uh, one of them has been in the air show industry. It was actually on the Thunderbirds uh, it, when he served in the Air Force. Uh, and he's been in the air show industry for you know over 20 years. Uh, and then uh, our other civilian is uh, our commander's secretary. Uh, but yeah, the Air Force... I think that's uh, one thing that a lot of folks don't know is that there's so many different jobs and basically you can pretty much get any job in the Air Force that is available to you outside in the civilian world or at least develop some sort of skill set in the Air Force, uh, in the military that will help you outside in the civilian world. I'm glad you brought that up because if uh, there's a great link, by the way, I'll have in the show notes. It's uh, airforce.com slash careers. And they even specify on there, there's over 200 career options in the Air Force. And, you know, there's computers. You can learn computers. You can actually go into many different things. Say you want to be a police officer someday. You know what? They have law enforcement, logistics, everything, you know, maintenance, repair and sciences, uh, space, everything. There's there's so many different things that you can get involved with. Say you want to become an attorney. You can do that. Say you want to be a chaplain. You can do that. Uh, so I really, you know, one of the things that I kind of wish I went that route and didn't realize that there was all that there because uh, my beginning of my career was in computers and all my friends went off the Air Force. I'm like, what are you doing that for? It's like, well, someone's paying for my education. So that's something I also want to stress. You're serving the country, but also there's some great benefits. So one of the things I'd like to touch on there too is everybody gets these benefits. No matter if you're an officer, you're enlisted, you get so many benefits. One of them is education. And uh, were you able to use some of those benefits to actually get your degree through the uh, ROTC? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my not my first year, but my second year, um, I got a scholarship that carried me through the rest of uh, my time at Arizona State. Uh, from from ROTC, it was uh, I can't remember the name of the scholarship, but it basically paid for uh, all my tuition and gave me a stipend uh, each month. Right, and so that actually, even after you're out of the military, say you go in, we we have a lot of folks at the college I'm at here, and we. Uh, have folks come out and get all their education paid for, which is absolutely terrific. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people say, you know, what do I do? What kind of job do I want to do? I think the one thing that I like from from the outside and one thing that I think is wonderful is you're exposed to so many different really cool things and great people and, and some wonderful jobs you may not have thought of otherwise. And and that's something that I think is a big takeaway. Take and, and you get to interact with all those people all the time, which is really cool. Yeah, there's there's a a lot of it is camaraderie. You know, a lot of people will talk about all these locations that they either don't like or not ideal or whatever. And then every time I talk to someone about that, they say the people are what made the assignment great. And so that's really, that's really kind of the uh, key to the air force is that we just have a lot of great people. um, And a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of the general public don't really understand what those folks do. And that's kind of another, uh, part of our job as the Thunderbirds is to go around and let everybody know that there's a lot of great people in your air force. They're working hard for you every day. And it's our job to tell their story. 
Yeah, and we're so happy you're doing that too. And and going towards that, as far as, as recruiting and obviously with retention here, one of the things we need to do is is make people realize those. And you're doing a wonderful job on that. But um, one thing I really want to make sure people do is go to the show notes, click on those different careers. It's really cool. Also, uh, the neat thing about the Air Force is the fact that not only can you go into these careers, there is the ability to move on to other things within there. And, we're, uh, and that's kind of cool. I, I think that's really neat that you can go into different specialties. You can start out as enlisted. You can become an officer. Um, there's many, I'm sure you You've even heard the stories where someone came in and started off enlisted and, and worked their way up through the ranks as an officer. Uh huh. We actually have uh, we have in our museum we have a uh, wall dedicated to those on the team who have become general officers. And uh, there's one uh, general officer who was on the team as an NCO. Uh, they were on the team as an NCO. They went on to become an officer and become a general officer. Wow, that's terrific. So let's talk a little bit about flying careers, because mostly uh, we talk on those positions, aviation, etc. As far as the Air Force is concerned, on this show, many times we are discussing the civilian route. And I don't, I don't think we give enough service to the military side of things. And if you've noticed in the past few episodes, we've had a lot of folks that are in the military, et cetera. Uh, I think it's important for people to realize that there it's a great career path. So if someone is considering a job as a pilot, realize that this is a good career path, but how do how did they go through that process of becoming a pilot in the Air Force? I'm sure it's it's not just here, sign up and this happens. What What is that process? Yeah, absolutely. So first you have to commission as an officer in the Air Force. Uh, and to do that, you got to go through one of three ways. So you can do ROTC, you can do the academy, the Air Force Academy, or you can go through officer training school or OTS. Uh, so any one of those commissioning sources will uh, make you an officer. Now, when you're going through that, you'll make a, a selection or kind of a, um, uh, a dream sheet, if you will, that has a list of jobs. And one of those would be pilot. So if you're going to try out for either pilot, uh, navigator, or air battle manager, uh, you kind of go into sort of a separate uh, list there. But the best way to highlight yourself really is to get good grades. By getting uh, good grades, that's kind of the bulk of uh, the algorithm that uh, the Air Air Force uses to kind of rank order everybody uh, when they're trying to hand out these pilot slots. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different things uh, aside grades, physical fitness. There's a uh, sort of a command perspective, you know, your leadership uh, abilities that goes into it. And then we also have the AFOQT that all officers have to take. Uh, and then your your pilot score from that uh, AFOQT uh, will also be included in that algorithm. So that's kind of the minimum requirements to uh, even start doing that. But once you do get assigned a pilot slot uh, in the Air Force, you'll graduate uh, and then you'll go to pilot training. And so when uh, I'll just speak to my experience, when I graduated from Arizona State, I went to Luke Air Force Base and I spent uh, almost a year there sort of waiting to go to pilot training. So in that year, I was the tanker scheduler and I got to work uh, day in and day out with F-16 units uh, that were training students in the F-16. So it was pretty awesome. It kind of solidified my my uh, preference to the F-16, uh, which was awesome. I got a, a, a few uh, backseat rides while I was there, which was great. But then I finally uh, started pilot training at Laughlin Air Force Base in Del Rio, Texas. 
And from the moment I showed up, it was uh, it was it was challenging. You know, it's a whole year of grinding out, studying. There was a stack of books and papers that I had to read uh, and commit to. You know, a lot of things I had to commit to memory. Um, and that was just in the first six months when you're going through T6 training. Uh, you actually spend about a month in just academics or ground school, which probably sounds real familiar to uh, civilian training. But uh, you, you start a month doing that ground school, and then you finally jump into the jet. And the first time you fly, the T6 is pretty incredible because it's, uh, it's more power than any other general aviation aircraft that I had flown. So that was uh, pretty awesome. Must have been a heck of a ride. You know, it's uh, one of the things that people don't realize is that you get into that pretty quickly, too. I mean, how long did it take you to get to that point? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, there was a year of me waiting to go to pilot training. And in that year, I actually went to, uh, before you go to pilot training, you go to initial flight screening. And so, with initial flight screening, you, uh, you, you fly a DA-20 aircraft, which is essentially a, a glider with a lawnmower engine is how I like to describe it. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool airplane actually to fly because it has, you know, the center stick, which is just like the T6. Um, but that was probably about six weeks of training. But, you know, that was a whole year of me waiting before I even got to pilot training. And then it was a whole year of pilot training going from the T6 to the T38 before I even got my wings. So grand total, we're talking two years of essentially training before I was handed my wings and became a pilot in the Air Force. And one important point here for those that are listening is that during that period, you were getting a paycheck, right? Uh, well, once, yeah, yeah, once you commission, <laughs> yeah, you start getting paid. Right. And so, and so that it seems a little foreign to some of us here, like in the civilian world, while you're going through that pilot training, uh, you're actually, you are employed. And uh, it's kind of a paradigm shift for those in the civilian world. Another, and I point that out because it's another reason to think about going towards uh, the Air Force, especially if you're looking at a career in flying. Um, but to get that commission, um, it takes a while, it takes some work. And like you said, you have to make sure you, you know, keep your grades up, etc. And, and also the other part of that too, uh, I'm assuming that the Air Force will do some type of background check. So not just uh, is it grades, it's also the other personal side of your life. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you know, from the moment you start ROTC, um, you're kind of looked at as being someone who can take on a lot more responsibility. So you have to sort of be an upstanding citizen. Uh, you can't get in trouble. You have to You have to keep your nose clean pretty much the whole time. So how did you get from that point to where you are now? You're kind of a fast forward. Now you're part of this, this historic demonstration team or the Thunderbirds. Um, where did, how did that progress and how were you selected? Uh, well, I'll start, um, I'll start from when I finished pilot training. So when I finished pilot training, I was selected to be a first assignment instructor pilot, which isn't really something that uh, most people want right out of pilot training. But basically that means I went... I came back to pilot training and I was an instructor. So I was a lieutenant instructing other lieutenants on how to fly the T-38. Uh, and from that moment, I, I, I loved instructing, but uh, I would always see these emails come across my desk or my computer that said, you know, hiring for the Thunderbirds and all these qualifications. And every time I saw one, I was like, I'm not qualified. I don't want to be a Thunderbird anyways. Delete. And so every, every year we send out that hiring message. And so basically every year from when I was a lieutenant up until 
I became a senior captain at Misawa Air Base in Japan uh, is, is when I saw one of those emails. And every single time I'd see it, be like, I don't qualify. I also don't want to be a Thunderbird. There's no way that you can get me into that tight blue suit. Uh, forget about it. So a couple of, of key things happened in my career that made me lean this direction. Uh, when I was a, a first-time instructor pilot or a FAPE, uh, my squadron commander at the time was a previous Thunderbird, and he really pushed. Uh, I, I thought he took uh, pretty good care of, of me and the squadron, and I thought he did a great job of maintaining a professional appearance and then also being a very good aviator. But I, I won't say we didn't make fun of him while, while we were you know lieutenants. Uh, but then, uh, after I got my F-16, I went through B course and I went to, uh, Osan Air Base in South Korea. Uh, and towards the end of my assignment there, a couple of the guys that I worked with got picked up for the Thunderbirds. And so now I actually had friends who were flying on the team and, uh, you know, and I start, I was like, oh, that's kind of a big deal. You guys got picked up. It's a pretty elite team, you know, congratulations. Uh, so I got, o- got over the fact that. Uh, you know, we wear tight blue suits. Um, but then as we, uh, as I moved to over to Misawa Air Base in Japan, again, one of those emails uh, showed up and I didn't immediately delete it. I moved on to the next email, uh, but then the next uh, day I came back to it and, and started actually looking at the requirements. Um, like I said, I had a couple buddies that were on the team and I looked up the website. I went to the Facebook page. I you know, reached out to them and asked them how things are going and said, I'm, I'm considering applying. And they said, uh, you should totally apply. It's a great team. It's a lot of fun. It's very busy, uh, but it's a whole new challenge. And so I did, I actually uh, applied to the team at that point. Um, I'll tell you, I'll talk a little bit about the application process. So, uh, the application includes all your flying records, your check rides, all of your um, performance reports, a, a picture of you, a current picture of you, and then uh, any letters of recommendation that you can get. Uh, that could come from anybody. Uh, but you send all that in with a, along with a personal letter saying why you want to be a Thunderbird. And the team gets it. They sift through uh, you know, their top selections, and then they'll, we'll bring you out for an interview if you get picked up for a semifinalist position. Uh, let's say there's you know maybe... 15 applicants, maybe we'll bring uh, 10 to 12 out for a semifinalist interview. It's pretty exciting because you'll come out and you'll actually get to sort of experience the Thunderbird lifestyle for a weekend at an air show. I know my first time I came out and experienced that, I was like, wow, these guys are really busy. And it's not just flying, high five in, and then uh, partying the rest of the night. Like, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Uh, and everybody on the team is extremely motivated and super sharp. And I was super, I was very impressed. I was very impressed. So uh, you'll do that interview with uh, the commander, uh, our wing commander as well. And then uh, if we determine that you're good enough to make the finalists, we'll make that cut. So from 12, we'll cut it down to maybe six for just three pilot positions available. And then uh, we'll bring you out again for another weekend, air show weekend. And this time, you'll actually do a panel-style interview in front of all 12 officers, and we'll kind of pepper you with questions back and forth, which is a whole other challenge, and it's uh, it can be very difficult uh, for anybody that's been in an interview before. And then uh, I, I guess I got lucky enough and did well enough in that interview that I got a phone call one day uh, saying that, that I made the team. So every year, 
uh, basically half the team trades out to keep the continuity. Uh, when when I applied, really the second time I applied, because the first time I applied, I didn't make it. So the second time I applied, the number three, number six, and number eight positions were available. Uh, and for anybody that knows the Thunderbirds, one through six fly the demonstration, seven is the director of operations, and number eight is the advanced pilot and narrator. So a lot of people don't really look at the number eight position as something they're interested in because they want to be in the demonstration flying. Uh, to me, I just appreciated the fact that I would be able to interact with with people. Uh, the flying wasn't the main focus to me. It was the interaction with uh, the kids, the community, being able to share my story and kind of tell people about all the different opportunities that the Air Force has to offer. So I was actually really excited when I got the phone call saying that I was number eight. Uh, and I knew I knew I had to start working on my karaoke skills. <laughs> and uh, and you do well, by the way. I, I've heard uh, a little bit of you. And, and one of the things that um, I think is amazing, what you said, you guys are busy, man. You're you're working. It's and you do a lot of shows, but it's not just the shows, is it? No, no. Uh, I mean, the show is is only about an hour and fifteen minutes from the moment we walk out, and I take the mic to the moment we're done with autographs. But uh, there's a whole a whole weekend is involved in that from, you know, on a typical air show weekend, I'll show up on Wednesday as the advanced pilot and I'll kind of lay the foundation for the team. Uh, we'll work any last minute logistics, uh, transportation, lodging, jet parking, any sort of issues with the uh, aerobatic box that we have to work with, uh, any of the scheduling issues. Uh, any maintenance issues that we have, I bring my my crew chief with me. He uh, flies with me in the back seat, and we'll fly to these uh, shows and deal with any of that. And then Thursday, the rest of the team arrives. So it's just me and my crew chief out there that catch the team. There's a C-17 that shows up that holds all of our equipment and personnel. Uh, and then about an hour after the C-17 shows up, the rest of the jets, one through seven, will fly in. Uh, they'll do a site survey, and then when they land – They'll go right into plane side interviews. And then sometimes we'll have a media flyer that day uh, on that Thursday afternoon. So you're talking about everybody loading up in the C-17 early in the morning, you know, somewhere between 7 and 9. Uh, they fly to whatever location we're at. They get out. It's, it's very impressive how quickly we can unload that thing with all the equipment we have, get everything set up, uh, and then – get ready for the jets to land. Then the jets land, they turn the jets, they refuel them, they make sure they're safe to fly. And then we take up a, a media flyer uh, at that point. Um, so while while some people are working maintenance issues, we have our public affairs team working the media flyer. Uh, and then they're getting ready for our uh, high school or our VA hospital or community outreach uh, visits for Friday morning. And Friday morning, we do that. We have those high school visits. Uh, I typically will fly Friday's media flyer. And then after that's done, so that's maybe uh, 8, 8.30 to about 10.30. And then once that's done, we go right into our brief for our practice on Friday. And we have our practice. We do our, our brief. We do our practice. We do our debrief. Typically, after we land, we usually have a special guest tent that we go and interact with. Uh, Make-A-Wish uh, is usually what we go do, and that's probably one of my favorite parts because we get to interact with uh, some of those kids that won't necessarily be at the show or can stay for an entire show during the weekend, uh, but we get to give our attention to them in some one-on-one -on -one time, which is great. Um, then our show days are Saturday and Sunday, uh, and so that. <laughs> you'd think those would be the busiest days, but they're actually 
a little bit easier on us lifestyle wise. Um, and then somewhere in there between Friday and Sunday, we have a, a PR event that we have to go to for the air show. And that's usually fun, but, uh, you know, especially if it's on that Friday, that makes a long day even longer. So by the time we're done, uh, by nine, 10 o'clock on Friday, most everybody's ready to go to sleep. Um, and, and we haven't even started the show yet. Right. Yeah. You're, you're making me tired. Just, just listening. (laughs) Busy, man. It's pretty busy. Uh, and then, you know, and then we all, we pack everything up again on Monday and we, we come back home. So it's a, it's a, it's a quick process. Uh, I really wish sometimes we'd have more time in these places so we can actually explore, uh, the country. And that's one of the best things about this team is that we get to go around to, go around the country and we get to explore just some gems of places that you wouldn't even think uh, of going and visiting. And I'm just always, I'm just impressed every time I, I, I go to a place that I never thought uh, I'd ever visit. And the people are amazing. The community is great. You know, they just, it's, it's just awesome to be there. Yeah, and it's awesome to have you, that's for sure. Uh, as a matter of fact, this year, as some of you know, I'm with uh, Sun and Fun Radio. We're going to have uh, you folks April 4th and 5th in Lakeland, Florida at Sun and Fun, so don't yeah. forget to come out and visit us. Um, but, you know, that is amazing, that that whole schedule. You guys, you know, I was looking at your season. You guys bang it out. I mean, you're looking at from February all the way through the middle of November. That's a long season. Yeah, yeah. Just talk to my wife about that one. <laughs> but you know, you said you go home. Now, what what do you mean by that? What does that mean? The squadron goes home. Uh, yeah. So we we come back. Typically, we'll go to a show. Uh, I'll use Sun and Fun for example. We'll go to Sun and Fun. We'll come back on Monday. So the team will fly to Florida on Thursday from Las Vegas. We'll do everything that has to do with the show. Then Monday morning, we'll pack it all up and we'll fly all the way back to Nellis. And we'll unload everything, uh, you know, Monday early afternoon. And then uh, we have to do whatever admin work. Um, you know, Monday's still a work day for us. We have to do whatever admin for our TDY. And Tuesday is typically my day off. The rest of the team gets Wednesday off. Uh, but then we do it again. So uh, on Tuesdays, the team is working again. We're doing home station training, flying out to the range here at uh, Nellis and Creech. And then Wednesday, one day off. And then back at it Thursday morning. Wow. So there's not much time to rest, and uh, it is good to get home. You know, I know you said it's neat to be out there, but uh, I'm sure the white, the family, would like you to be home. Uh, and that, and I'm glad they do. They bring you back home and be able to see the family. One of the things that is interesting that you said you get to do these, like, uh, media rides, but you also do some other things, like Hometown Hero, that type of thing. That must be really cool. You, you must have been able to meet some really amazing people in doing that. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, last year, my first year on the team, we started, our first event was the Super Bowl. And then shortly after that, we did the Daytona 500. And then we did the Captain Marvel uh, world premiere flyover. And those three events kind of back to back to back blew my mind. Uh, I could not believe that I was doing some of the things that I was doing. Um, but, you know, it was great to meet these athletes and celebrities. Uh, but the more we got into the show season and the more I started flying these hometown heroes, uh, it just made me, it honestly made me proud to be an American. Uh, I, I met just amazing regular citizens who happened to be faced with extraordinary scenarios and they just completely uh, succeeded through it. Um, you know, I probably half of my flights were, 
hometown hero flights. And uh, some of the folks had some incredible stories. One was uh, off-duty uh, fireman coming home. He happened to turn into his uh, driveway and he looks over to his neighbor and his neighbor's standing outside with his baby daughter, blue in the face. The guy jumps into action, resuscitates her, stabilizes her for the paramedics to come and saves her life. Uh, and I flew that I flew that man. Uh, we landed. I actually got to meet the girl whose life he saved. It was incredible. The uh, another one, uh, another firefighter story. Um, was called to a structure fire. She didn't have all of the equipment that she needed to go into the building. However, there are still people in the building and she, uh, you know, she kind of broke the rules at that, that point to go in and save these people's lives, pull them out. Uh, and those, those people are safe today from this structure fire. Um, you know, it's, it's not just, uh, firefighters. There was a school teacher that I flew who tackled an, a, uh, active shooter, uh, got shot twice while doing that and saved a, his entire school from uh, a school shooting, which was amazing to me. So it's just incredible. These incredible, normal, regular American citizens who just answer answer the call when it's their turn, you know, and, and these people don't necessarily have military experience. They just step up. Wow. You know, as I'm listening to this, it's like an incredible paradigm shift because, you know, a lot of us, you know, we look up to you folks as, as a heroes. And now here you are, uh, he these hometown heroes, regular citizens stepping up and doing things that are extraordinary in some amazingly difficult situations. Uh, that must be an incredible, humbling experience. Yeah, Carl, I, uh, I just fly airplanes, you know? <laughs> well, it, it's interesting, by, but, but let's talk a little bit about that. As far as flying airplanes, you're part of this demonstration team, and a lot of people do look up to you. Um, and there's a lot of people that are listening right now that are flight instructors, and I think this is an important point. When you're out there, whether you're in uniform as an Air Force pilot, whether you're out there as a flight instructor, a teacher, whatever it may be, it's really important um, that you actually project that professionalism and uh, and integrity. So maybe you could talk a, a little bit about that. I mean, some of the, the people that are, are looking at this, sometimes they'll say, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just cut corners. We don't have to do this, et cetera. Just uh, I personally feel it's very important to, to hold fast to that integrity. Uh, absolutely. It doesn't just apply, you know, in uniform or in the cockpit. It's, it's everything you do in your daily life and your routine. You know, I got I've got two kids now, a two-year-old and a five-month-old, and uh, I know everything I do, especially for my two-year-old. They're watching, and they're copying everything I do, and I know if I, um, if I do something wrong or, or if I you know, do a, a bad you know, thing in her eyes, uh, that she's going to copy that, and she's going to take that to school, and, and that's not going to be good. I'll probably get some phone calls from, from her teacher. So I sort of put myself uh, in that, in those shoes and figure out, um, you know, how people are trying to perceive me. Uh, as far as in the cockpit goes, I put safety at the forefront. Uh, I try not to do any sort of showboating when I'm flying. Every rule that we have that's in our checklist is written in blood in uh, some way, shape or form. And so I know that all the maneuvers that we have that are in our manuals and the precise ways that we're supposed to fly them uh, are written that way for a reason. There's no reason to kind of throw caution to the wind and do something uh, wild without having practiced it, having 
uh, written down what we're going to do and talk about all the dangers that are associated with it. And so uh, as a pilot, you need to, you know, I, I fly single seat fighter. There's no one that I'm flying. But, uh, you know, if I want to be an airline pilot one day, which uh, could be in the cards for me, I have to understand that there are people that are trying to get to their destination safely. And it's my job uh, and my responsibility, really, ultimately, to make sure that they get to those locations. That's a good point. You know, as, as those that are out there flying with just one person in the aircraft or maybe 100, 200, 300, take a look behind you and just realize that's the reason for the, that you need to have that integrity and also safety is so important. So that's a great point. Um, you know, before we close out, uh, Major, we one of the things that I think we need to come back to is is you've, you've been really an inspiration for many just through the stories you told us here. But as far as someone who's thinking about a career in the Air Force, there's a couple questions I get. Number one, uh, it'd be advice for somebody who's starting off. And number two, uh, how old can I be? I think I get that question often. So maybe you could address those two things. You know, advice to someone who's thinking about starting and, and when would be the point where, yeah, I can't apply. Am I too old to join? Uh, so I used to be 29 or 29 and a half, but I think those rules have changed. So I'll have to, uh, I'll have to do some research for you there. Um, you can, you can look, uh, some of that stuff up on, uh, if you Google air force recruiting, uh, they'll have some of that information on there. They have a good section in there about, um, pilot. I want to say it's 32 now. Uh, but there, there are waivers for everything as far as how old you can be to apply. Um, I will say when I, when I wanted to do this, uh, back in college, and I applied for it. I actually didn't get picked up for it. I was told uh, that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't going to be a pilot. They had me go to be a developmental engineer uh, is, is what my job was scheduled to be. And call it luck or whatever you will, uh, the next year when I was a senior, my commander pulled me into his office and he was talking to me about everything. And he said, do you still want to be a pilot? I was like, well, yeah, sure, but you know, I'm trying to do that on active duty now because I didn't get picked up. And he said, well, you're the next one on the list. Someone fell out. You were an alternate, and and now it's your turn if you still want to do that. So my jaw literally dropped to the floor, and I couldn't believe that it was happening. Um, so from going to be a developmental engineer, 180 on my life to uh, becoming a pilot and and knowing where I'm at right now, uh, I'll just tell everyone that never give up. There's always a way, uh, even if someone tells you no, keep making yourself better. Try to control those things that are in your control to make yourself better, and then people will start seeing how good you are, and they will pick up on that, and hopefully you will get what you want uh, to that effect. Major Markson, this has been great, uh, and that's some wonderful advice. I really appreciate your taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule that we've, we've just realized to, to talk to us here at Aviation Careers Podcast. And if someone has questions, obviously, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, I'd like to forward those to you, maybe uh, reach out to some of these listeners, if that'd be okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Please do. Well, thanks again. Uh, I can't wait to see you at Sun and Fun, uh, and uh, can't wait to see the air show. And we really appreciate all that you do and uh, all the different folks at 
you know, with the team, uh, we appreciate everything everybody there does. And uh, from the person that's actually going out and forward and, and making sure everything is, is proper before the, the show, and all the different folks that are involved, from the civilians, the enlisted, to the officers, hats off to you. And again, thank you for your service, sir. Um, one of the things I want people to realize is that, you know, all these things we talked about, just from his story, one of the most important things you can do is, is just take that step forward to whatever it is you want to do in your career. If you think you can do it and you want to try, go for it. Don't think about it. Take one step. And as I always say at the end of the show, I want you to do something. Do something today, whether it's small, whether it's looking at one of these websites that are in the show notes or reaching out on YouTube and, and looking at their Instagram pages and, and just being inspired by all the different things that the Thunderbirds do and also uh, what Major Marson does. I want you to do something today to move forward in your career, in your life. Well, stay flying. We'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.